Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Matt. This week, competition concerns scupper Murdoch's reach for the sky. New algorithms at Facebook are poised to sort the well-sourced wheat from the fake news chaff. What future for original online journalism as redundancies kill the buzz feed? And it's a game of guess who in this week's media quiz. All that and more coming up on this edition of the Media Podcast. We're recording in the meeting room at RunVT this week in the part of town north of Soho known to those in the know as NoHo and to everybody else on my train from Bulldog this morning as London. Uh, joining me, it's two stalwarts of the Media Pod, Managing Director of Something Else, Steve Ackerman. Hello. Hello, Ronnie. Can we say Happy New Year still? Well, if you want to. I've done it. And media writer, what's the word you like? Veteran is the one you like. Yes. Maggie Brown. Um, now, before we get on to this week's burning topics, uh, as it is still January, apparently the statute of limitations on our predictions has not yet elapsed. So I'm just going to ask you for one each. Uh, Maggie, if you had one big prediction for the year ahead. I expect the unexpected. I've, I've been so thrown by the whole um, move on Murdoch's uh, decision to actually sell out to uh, Disney that I, I, I just don't know what to, in it, to expect next. That's the truth of it. Media um, news is mirroring politics, then? Uh, it's, it's more than that. I mean, it's, it's, it's responding to huge global changes in the media, which, of which we're tiny little clogs and we're watching here uh, from one little island, really. So I feel quite sort of reticent, really. Good prediction. And I would say that one thing we can be certain of is that there will be more equality of pay between men and women doing the same job at the BBC. I think that is a safe prediction, isn't it? Yeah, good one. <laughs> and Steve, you gave us your predictions on last week's show. You actually tweeted them in and I read them out. But um, I'm guessing you won't remember what they were now. I'm, try- I'm, I'm in a mad panic trying to remember. I think I said newspapers would continue to struggle with revenue, yes, did I say that? you did. I, I'm, I would definitely have said I think a brand will probably create a significant piece of content or do something in the significant in the content space. So, so what do you mean? You mean a sort of big I, ITV Saturday night show? I mean Pepsi. anything ranging from potentially a huge online series to, yes, potentially a TV. For, I mean, really, we're already seeing it to a degree because formats like Love Island are ultimately funded by uh, Motion Content, which is a, which is a, a group. And we M- have the Lego show on Channel 4. Yeah, so I think we're fast moving in that direction. And you also said big name talent will start to turn down radio broadcaster offers in order to create their own podcasts. Yes. So if you had to choose one of the three, what's the big main prediction you're going to go with, Steve? I might go for the third, actually. 
Big name talent? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see if that comes true. On with the show, and first up, inevitably, Sky. This week, the Competition and Markets Authority said in a provisional finding that 21st Century Fox's acquisition of the 61% of Sky it doesn't already own would give the Murdoch family too much control over news providers across all media platforms and therefore too much influence over public opinion and the political agenda. So, in other words, Maggie, this wasn't about reputation. It was purely about news plurality. It was basically about Sky News. Yes, it was. Was that um, the right decision? Well, I mean, it's a, it, it, we're in a very difficult situation because this particular probe, which um, Ofcom had said it could go ahead, it was then passed on to the CMA, as you say. But, of course, at that point, everybody thought that we were in a simple acquisition of the 61% of Sky that um, 21st Century and the Murdoch family through their control, didn't own. But of course, in the meantime, what's happened is this extraordinary revelation that Murdoch intends to basically sell out of all of his entertainment businesses. So while this is a blip to that move, which is a strategic part of what the bigger deal is, it it doesn't actually scupper the end deal if something can be done to change the ownership structure of 21st century and Sky and Sky News. So it puts, I think, the people at Sky News, all 500 of them, in a kind of rather difficult, unpleasant, uncertain situation because they're not sure really who their ultimate owner is going to be. Because as part of all of this, uh, we all know that Disney is required now to go through with this purchase of, of 21st Century Fox, in which case it is, becomes the ultimate owner of Sky News, assuming it wants Sky News. Well, that's so the we're, big we're if, a, isn't it's, it? It's a kind of jigsaw. If they moment. want Sky if, News. So, yes. you know, on the and one hand, the ironically, yes. the government is basically saying we'd prefer mm. Disney own Sky News, then there wouldn't be an issue. By implication, you know, if Murdoch owns it, there's a problem. Yeah. If he doesn't, there probably isn't. Yeah. But actually... We know that Murdoch likes Sky News because he created it. We have absolutely no idea well, at all whether why, Disney would keep it. This is why it. it's so upsetting in a way. And I, 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 it was interesting yesterday on the media show, Radio 4, you know, John Whittingdale was saying that it would be absolutely tragic if anything happened to Sky News. And my opinion is that since 89, when it began, it has been a huge force for actually good in, in British television news. And it's brought a different kind of flavour and energy. And the plurality. I mean, that's well, the irony, plurality. isn't it? Yes. If, if Sky News ends up getting... Yeah axed so that yeah. Murdoch can pass a plurality yeah. test will have fewer news well, outlets. For example, you know, I always tend to judge on the Royal Television Society's um, News and Current Affairs Awards, which are happening uh, in, in February. One of the uh, very strong uh, shortlisted candidates for you know, investigative journalism is actually um, a Sky News uh, journalist who has exposed a particular uh, scandal over a drug called Primados. But to return to my original question, did the CMA make the right decision? Bearing in mind the current circumstances is Disney don't own it at the moment. Yeah. You know, looking at the evidence, were they right to say there would be a problem allowing Rupert Murdoch effectively and his family to control 100% of Sky News as well as The Sun and The Times, Wireless Radio Group and everything else? I think probably yes, even with, with that, because I think that there's just this uncertainty now about the, uh, the, the way in which it would, you know, it would play out given that... Um, we have seen uh, quite a lot of uh, problems, really, over the whole the whole Murdoch uh, involvement. In Steve, do you think they made the right best. decision? Well, I was interested in that. I think I'm right in saying pre-hacking, uh, the, you know, the deal had been approved and it was, you know, you know, there wasn't going to be an issue. And so you think, well, what's changed in the landscape since then, and what's changed? Well, they own 
uh, one less newspaper, but they own a lot more radio stations, or they own radio stations in a way that they mm. didn't before, including, of course, speech radio stations, that mm. some, some of which are, uh, um, are more newsy. So I wonder if that's what's tipped tip the balance in terms of the ecology i mean it is interesting you're you know you're quite right this this issue that if sky news closes down that's actually to the detriment probably of the of the british public because and, and especially because uh, i think along with everything you've said maggie they've brought real innovation to the way they've covered covered the news i mean let's not forget really the bbc starting a rolling news channel was very much in reaction to mm. sky not to, and to cnn of course yeah remember. i think there's another question here which nobody's asked and this is this is one that's concerning me and this is why i, I feel so unsure about this Anybody who's taken a longer view over the media over the few decades will know that Europe is not particularly keen on Disney. And so you do wonder quite what the European Union is going to say over Disney owning uh, a large pay television chunk of Europe. If you ask me, is it all going to be stitched up and, and clear this time next year, I wouldn't be 100% sure, because remember, this whole move by, by, by Murdoch started in January 2016, so we're two years out. Should we talk about Facebook? Mark Zuckerberg has announced changes to the way users receive news on their timeline. Uh, Steve, can you explain basically what's happened? It's a shift from business towards friends and family, isn't it? Well, exactly that. It's a change in the algorithm and, and you, know, you know, the stuff that's being fed by news organisations or brands will become less uh, obvious for you when you first when you first go into Facebook. And clearly this is trying to stay one step ahead of, I, th- I think, probably uh, trying to avoid the regulation bullet and all the pressure that has occurred around fake news and, and concerns about foreign governments having influence. And also, I think, the way that some brands had become very, very savvy in terms of how they can work around the algorithm to ensure that they obviously can be as prominent as possible. So do you think then that Mark Zuckerberg personally is being disingenuous when he says he wants to improve the service and return it back to what it used to be? You know, that actually this is a bit of cynical window dressing for a bunch of issues that are coming down the path. Well, I'm not sure I'd use the word disingenuous, uh, but, you know, if you look at the track record, this is a very, very intelligent man. And it's a fantastic organisation in terms of they are smart people and... Um, you can see the way the tide is going. I mean, you know, we're talking on the day that Theresa May is speaking in Davos. And what is she speaking about today? She's speaking about the way terrorist groups and uh, paedophile groups are able to to easily get onto social networks and feed information. And that governments have to start cracking down on this and regulating. But, um, it's, but it's not overwhelmingly a brilliant thing, is it, Maggie? If you're a media company and your content now can't reach the people whom you've been targeting over a, a number of years because this ecosystem's evolved, suddenly overnight you can't reach them anymore. Well, I mean, maybe they shouldn't have been trying to reach them in the first place, is what I would say. What, young people? Well, I mean, that's been the problem. I mean, there are, there are many examples of... I can think of one very good one, actually, since I'm the historian of Channel 4. Uh, I can tell you that the... Uh, Ofcom has put huge pressure on Channel 4 News to make sure that it actually uh, is, 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 is uh, connecting with you know, younger audiences. And their solution, they've tried all sorts of solutions since 2010, but their solution was actually to put edited short versions of their big stories on, on Facebook, and they've had huge, huge success. 
There are examples where uh, organizations have been pushed, really, into um, releasing things on Facebook uh, because they, they feel they have to follow their audience when maybe perhaps that isn't necessarily the wisest thing to do. Surely, look what's going on. Come on, let's get real about this. It's just very difficult for the social media networks actually to cope with all of this uh, a rush of and how do they separate between fake news and real news and, and the quality of the, the provider and, and what is actually going on on their platforms. And they, I would have thought Mark Zuckerberg has taken quite a cynical decision, really, just to sort of stand back and say to hell with it we never used to be this we were here really as a social network and my goodness me a lot of people like it because they're connecting with their friends they're showing them photographs and you know the brands can very easily exploit all these young people who want to buy lots of consumer goods anyway and services and everything else well look, i mean i mean the, i think first of all this isn't the end of news networks on Facebook. You know, it, it's still going to be, you know, fairly easy to seek out the information you want. The point is, it's just not directly, it's not so obviously fed to you. But also, if you're Facebook, it's sensible that, you know, you've got a powerful brand that you protect that brand. And, you know, the sense of sort of fake news and of influence has become really one of the key themes of the, par- of the past few years. It is toxic. Absolutely. That's right. And, and we've seen some of the other social networks really struggle to get to grips with this. And, you know, Facebook are the, are the leaders. One other concern, though, is that this isn't the end of branded content and news content on the newsfeed of ordinary users. It's just a deprioritizing of yes. that content. And the stuff that gets prioritized just at a fraction less of what it used to will be the stuff that gets the most comments uh, rather than the most likes. So the algorithm you say likes, now it's a mixture of likes and comments. I still don't see how that addresses the Katie Hopkins problem. Like The more controversial the thing is that you're putting out and the more credible a source you are, in inverted commas, in other words, the Mail Online, for example, that's the stuff that'll surface onto everyone's timeline, not the stuff that comes from less well-funded, maybe more um, cautious news outlets. I think you're right, and it, and it is an issue. You know, I'm not quite sure what the answer is. I'm not sure necessarily that Facebook know the answer in the sense of, um, you know, we know that the, the sort of history of Facebook along with the other social networks as well, has been constant innovation and constantly trying things out and seeing what works and then obviously adjusting algorithms and and uh, um, uh, UX experience uh, based on that. I'm not sure they necessarily know, know all the answers to this but, this, but but this move buys them a lot more time with regulators and with governments. We've also seen this week the Edelman uh, uh, Index, which is uh, tracking where people find um, reliable news. And you see this big rise now in people trusting newspapers and Mm. more conventional sources um, rather than uh, social media um, sites which have plummeted in respectability almost, you might say, or or believability. Think where we were 10 years ago, everybody just madly dashing in, thinking this was absolutely wonderful. Newspapers literally throwing themselves and their advertising into the arms of these social media giants. We've all been through this. Do you remember people used to be absolutely critical if you suggested that there ought to be controls on what was actually being put on these sites? You know, it was was a sort of attack on personal freedom. And that has now changed changed and it's taken a long time for the penny to drop that these are actually quite dangerous well, well also maggie isn't 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 one of the uh, points at the heart of that that obviously the argument always used to be from facebook and twitter and everyone else we're just a platform we're just a, a place for people. I don't believe that anymore. No, and I'm not sure necessarily, uh, you know, the powers that be at these organisations feel they can justify that anymore either. So, no. One such news organisation that did such a mad rush into social media, Maggie, care to name it? 
Oh, sorry, you mean The Guardian? I do. We'll talk yes. about that after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. If you're a fan of advertising, you'll love this episode of the Media Podcast, supported by RunVT in the heart of Soho. They have 15 offline suites, as well as two online suites and a bass-like grading theatre. That's not to mention the dubbing suite and voiceover booth, which I just have. If you need these facilities for your next TV show, why not give RunVT a call? As we at the Media Podcast know, you will be well looked after. Edit your next show at RunVT. Go to runvt.tv now. And if you're interested in supporting The Media Podcast, let us know via our website, themediapodcast.com. The Guardian has turned tabloid this week with a reduction in size from the Berliner format. Uh, Maggie, you write for The Guardian from time to time. Uh, What do you think? Well, I think it's very welcome. Um, I think that they're cutting their coat according to their cloth, to quote that old proverb, because actually they're still losing quite a lot of money. But does it look like a cheap coat? Uh, I think it looks like a sensible coat, a workmanlike <laughs> coat. Uh, I don't think it's particularly inspiring, but it's clearly been uh, thought very hard over. Uh, if they were doing it because of the advertising market, it would have been done in the autumn before Christmas. So I think it shows you uh, where the Guardian's uh, kind of income is coming from, which is essentially from subscriptions, really, and mm. uh, donations and uh, cover price. I think the daily uh, is, is OK. I particularly like the Saturday package, although I was extremely disappointed with their new signing as a columnist, uh, Eleanor Ferrante of the Neapolitan novels, which um, I turned to with great anticipation. Oh no, what were you hoping for? A, a really good column. And, what did you uh, get? I, I, just a, a really of, bad column. Just <laughs> a weak column. Give and, her a chance, it's the first uh, one. I, well, I mean, this is the accomplished woman who hides behind these very trendy novels and has been unmasked recently. I, I thought this was going to be a tremendous 
tremendous uh, signing. I didn't think that it worked for The Observer so well, unfortunately. The Observer review was, was fine, uh, but I thought the paper itself, is, it's going to need a lot more energy. If you have a tabloid form, you have to have quite a lot of energetic journalism to carry you through the pages. And The Observer uh, has got rather soft, really. It needs more people. And actually, it needs now to up its investigations, and it needs to really just go for it. It's an interesting point you made about The Observer sort of being on a shelf space next to The Sun on Sunday, because, Steve, although they're obviously very different, and everyone knows that, um, did you see how The Sun responded to The Guardian going tabloid? Um, From one tabloid to another went their op-ed piece, didn't it? Yeah, well, The Sun obviously taking great delight in sort of ribbing The Guardian, and uh, yes, they were trying to give it tips on on how it could... uh, I think they wrote in their um, editorial, didn't they, about, can we give you a tip from one tabloid to another that, that you should actually try and create stories or chase stories or something I can't quite remember exactly but here's our suggestion for them to turn around their failing fortunes actually report some exclusive rip-roaring stories we know that is an alien concept to them but it might help them flog a copy or two well we know they're not great bedfellows particularly as I think the it was the Guardian who led the charge on the on the phone hacking but for me the the sort of crucial thing is obviously the business aspect which is you know the main reason they've done this is to save costs and it's almost inexcusable that they've allowed the situation of being so loss making to go on for so long they are not aiming even at this point in time really to to even break even it's a question of getting the losses down but i think it's th- isn't it three, three years year, three year, they're two I, years into it i, I, mean, uh, and I, I mean i mean the thing is that they have made um, a lot of people redundant uh, but it's all—it's been voluntary rather than necessarily the people who maybe ought to go, um, and they have uh, clearly cut their newspaper uh, newsprint bills. They're obviously get, probably going to do more in terms of their offices and other back-end uh, costs. So they—they they are, and they're also—they've got a different. Uh, type of chair at the Scott Trust, somebody, Alex Graham, who's an independent producer who's made a lot of money, hard-nosed businessman too, and they've got a hard-nosed chair of of, of the Guardian News and Media Group. So they are finally, after I would say almost 10 years of drift, um, coming into um, a kind of uh, hopefully more profitable pastures. Now Maggie, a lot of people that had left The Guardian went to go and work under Janine Gibson at BuzzFeed, didn't they, in the yes, UK? Janine was obviously one of the major executives and she was actually the, the other candidate to become the editor of The, of the Guardian itself. And this week, uh, 24 mm. uh, journalists have left BuzzFeed in their round of redundancies. Uh, what do you make of that? They're not uh, doing as well as they should have been doing and uh, they were overstaffed for the uh, impact that they were making and the revenue that they were gaining. One of the people, Louise Ridley, has been on this podcast. She has, very recently of this parish. What strikes me when I looked at the list and I did actually correspond with one or two of them, these are all excellent people and I'm sure that they will find uh, very good jobs. Um, But where, Steve? I mean, you're in the business at something else of of finding relatively young people to staff your programmes and projects. Who else is? Well, actually, I think there's no shortage of opportunity for journalists if they can be truly multimedia journalists. Uh, When you look at the explosion of good quality journalism in audio, when you look at, obviously, um, you know, there is still a huge desire for the written word, both online and in print. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a shortage. I think the issue with BuzzFeed is it, it feels to me like the sort of Emperor's New Clothes has been exposed a little bit that um, we always heard these stories about 
sites like BuzzFeed that oh they're doing these incredible numbers and all people are interested in now is listicles and um, this is the future of 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 news reporting and and maybe the well, to be t- fair the listicles are profitable aren't they well they yeah don't but, cost anything. but maybe the tide, it's the journalism that's yeah, hard maybe the tide that's turned against them is when you think about when they launched and what's happened to the political landscape over the past you know two or three years actually there is a great hunger for very serious news reporting and for people to find uh, credible sources for their for their for their news uh, based on the unreliability and the battle we're seeing going on between real news and fake news yeah i mean do you think there's possibly something in that maggie that those two stories correlate you mentioned the edelman um survey that says people are returning to trusted brands mm-hmm. and okay for millennials maybe buzzfeed is a kind of trusted brand it's been there for a long time but people turn to brands like The Guardian for news and maybe don't want to get their politics from BuzzFeed. Well, I mean, some people do. I mean, they're not doing badly. It's just that they overexpanded and uh, perhaps rather recklessly thought that they could take the UK on just at this point in time when opinion was turning. I think they do have a place and they have broken stories. It's just... And they've got... And they've had some excellent hires. Yeah. Janine gives and them... And a lot of those people are still there as well. And a lot of... Well, I mean, yes, about uh, three well, quarters Some of those people there. are still there. And, and I, think, I think that um, it's the natural kind of um, effervescence, really, of launches. You can very often uh, lose your head and think that you're doing better than you are. And there are always unexpected costs, which... I mean... I've done two launches in my life, and they're wonderful. But you have to think that you're going to war. That's what. What, what it's was like. the other one, Maggie? We talked uh, about Financial the independent. Weekly, um, okay. which uh, uh, ceased to exist about sort of 15 years ago. But it was a most wonderful, interesting thing to do. It was backed by the Daily Express. But the whole point is, it's like war. All new businesses are like war, and everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And what's happened here is, what's gone wrong is there hasn't enough revenue because there hasn't been enough. Uh, But also, finally on this, they're not a media company, really, are they, BuzzFeed? They are a Silicon Valley disruptor, basically. So their whole approach to doing, as Maggie's suggesting, building up a launch title saying, let's invest in the UK, it was more a case of, let's chuck millions of dollars at the UK and see what happens for a year. And then they've turned around and said, oh, it's not working, let's stop. It's so different, isn't it, to the way that a newspaper might operate? Well, it's different in that the imperative to get to profit as quickly as possible is not there because it's obviously about getting user numbers and the data on those users, um, which which you will monetize in some way or another. Uh, but clearly someone has pulled the plug financially to a degree and just said, actually, we're not going to keep pumping money in here, which is, which is unusual for some of the big... Uh, Silicon Valley companies that we've seen where where it just seems to be endless investment. You're talking about Netflix? <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean, you know, you could you could say that this is the supreme example of money being thrown at an enormously ambitious venture uh, and who knows where that's going to end. Now, I know you'll both be very excited to know that there is still time for the media quiz. Yes. Before we get going into the first round proper, oh God, there's a bonus question, uh, to get you both started. Okay. Uh, with just two weeks to go until the start of the Winter Olympic Games in Pyeongchang, it's exactly 30 years since South Korea last hosted the Olympics and a quiz show started on daytime BBC One, in which the grand prize was a trip to the Summer Olympic Games in 1988. So the bonus question is, what was that game show? 1988. I'm going to guess that it's going for gold. You are absolutely right. I mean, I, I well, just because... That's extraordinary. Well, I thought Golden Olympics, that well might work. So. Amazing. And for an extra bonus question, do you remember who wrote the theme tune? 
No. Hans Zimmer wrote the theme tune to Going for Gold. Fun fact. Uh, Right, okay. Steve, you've got control of the board as we start the first round proper. I'm going to ask a question which gets progressively easier. Buzz in with your name when you know the answer, but you only get one chance. So choose your time wisely. You buzz in with your name, Maggie. Oh, I see. So you say... I never win these. What, what do you Maggie. say? You say Maggie. I there we go. Maggie. All right. Okay. And Steve, you say? Uh, Steve. Okay. Here's your four-point clue. Remember, it gets progressively easier. Who am I? Buzz in with your name, but you only get to do it once, so choose your point wisely. I was born in Australia and spent ten years as a teacher. I began my career in Cologne with the German language section of the World Service. For three points now. I was the first local radio presenter to be inducted into the Radio Academy Hall of Fame in 2004. Steve. Steve, for three points, you just got in there before the two-point threshold, yes. Ed Doolan. It is Ed Doolan who died this week, uh, age 76, after a battle with dementia. Okay, here's question two. Who am I for four points? I was born in 1973 in Winchester, Hampshire, for three points now. I started my career at 2CR in Bournemouth Steve. before... Steve. Now, I know this because in a previous life, a previous company I worked for was the agent of this person who did uh, who picked this person up when they were at 2CR and then did their deal that took them to, I think, Juice in Liverpool, and it's Christian O'Connell. It is, and I like the way you kept with the format there and kept calling him this person right, before right. you revealed the <laughs> answer. This is skewed towards radio people. This is most unfair. Isn't well, Christian well, O'Connell well, stepping down? Hang on, isn't... Maggie, we've had a lot of newspaper chat today, so I don't think you can, you can complain in any way at all. Christian <laughs> O'Connell... Media discrimination. I, I'm going to play Ollie. <laughs> Christian O'Connell... Uh, announced this week that he's leaving Absolute Radio after 12 years and Very going good. to a job in Australia. Yes. And uh, I don't think he's yet said where he's going, has No, in he? fact, you've just spoiled the... Uh, oh. yeah. He, he, he hasn't said Australia. He hasn't said, but everyone uh, else in the media industry said, oh, he's going to Australia. Well, I, think, I don't know why I the think, details come I think, No, I th- yeah. I'll tell you why. I think there's a rumour around Australia because Clive Dickens, who used to run uh, Abs- Absolute Radio, he now works in Australia for one of the big radio groups, so I think that could potentially be the link. I think actually it's a real blow to UK commercial radio because UK commercial radio does not have many stars. It has Christian O'Connell, it has Nick Ferrari... Um, I'm already struggling a bit now to think who who, who I are they? It has Chris Moyles, but really it, it he's has the radio Moyles. No, I mean first, it's true, yeah. but but you know you really do struggle to think who, who are the big personalities who actually can attract an audience in their own right. And mm. Christian O'Connell, without doubt, has been one of those people. And I suppose what's unusual about him as well is, I mean, I think he's tried a few telly shows, hasn't he? Like they all have, but basically he's a radio name. Most people don't know what he looks like, and they don't care. He's only ever been on radio, and he's only ever really been on commercial radio, apart from a few shows on Five Live. Yes, that's right. Right. This is question three. It's not all to play for because Steve has already won. Who am I for four points? I was born on October the 8th, 1960 in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm an American entrepreneur and philanthropist for three points. I joined the Peace Corps and went to teach high school maths in Africa for two points. I founded a startup company sending movies to subscribers by post. Maggie, come on, Maggie. For one point. Maggie, buzzing with your name. Maggie. Ted oh, you're so close. No. For no. one point, my company's hits include The Crown and Stranger Things. Come on, Maggie, you were talking about it before. I, I can't think. Steve? Netflix. Yes, but who? Who am oh, I? Oh, 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 oh. And the other one, I'm not Sarandos. It's something, oh. the, guy, the guy who actually runs it. It's, it's got a historical name. It's Reed Hastings. Yes, that's right. Co-founder and CEO of Netflix. Yes, absolutely. Uh, why are Netflix no, in the media news this week? There's a big groundbreaking stat. 
the value of the company went over 100 billion. There you are, just casually threw that in there. That was the winning answer, Maggie. You could have won the quiz. You could have done it. That is it for this week. My thanks to Maggie and to Steve. Uh, Please keep your donations coming. We appreciate every penny, and it is thanks to your help that we keep this show independent. Go to themediapodcast.com slash donate. Do it now. The Media Podcast is a PPM production produced this week by Peter Price. I've been Ollie Mann, and until next time, bye-bye. Thank you.